You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. If you're a black or African-American unschooler over the age of 20 who's willing to share some of your experiences on camera and possibly be included in a documentary, contact my mom at she at akilasrichards.com and she'll send along details. The show notes page for this episode is akilasrichards.com forward slash seven six. This is Moji, I and Senna, my daughter. Hi, people. I am going to be guest hosting Fair of the Free Child. Shout out to you, Fair of the Free Child. We love Fair of the Free Child. We listen to it every week. I'm so happy and honored to be on there for three episodes. Moji, another person whose series we will be producing because. Moji always brings the deep and the dope. <laughs> As a doula, a birth worker, a mama, an unschooling space co-founder, and a lover of Black women and protector of our bodies. I'm just so deeply in gratitude for the work that Moji does, and y'all are going to get so much from what she's doing with her series. Stay tuned. My first episode is going to be about decolonizing nutrition and the way we approach health and nutrition. Mm -hmm. So we will be talking about de-schooling ourselves from how we approach our diets and eating. I've learned a lot from de-schooling with my daughter and how I no longer tell her she's not allowed to eat this and that. And she's free to eat what she wants, and she learns how her body responds to the things she eats. Uh, Like bacon. The second episode will be about de-schooling birth and pregnancy. I am a doula, so this is really, again, about listening to your body, trusting your instincts, and just honing in on your intuitions during birth and pregnancy. Because especially for women of color, we can't control that the systems are there that um, stress us out and that judge us, but we can control ourselves and um, how we trust our body. And that actually goes a long way to protect us while we're in a system and, and birthing. The third episode, I will be talking about the book, The Invention of Women, Making an African Sense of Western Gender Discourse. Um, I have had quite um, a journey with gender in the United States and with English, especially now in the birthing world. And this book really decolonizes our approach to thinking about gender. I grew up in a language that does not have pronouns, and so I'm really happy to share this with you. Bye! I love knowing that people are in the middle of their day cleaning or driving or 
chilling (laughs) and listening and feeling a sense of connection to the same things that I obsess about and insist on changing or amplifying. It's just a really, really great feeling to know that what is really serving me is also serving so many other people, to know it conclusively because of the type of feedback that I'm getting. I'm talking even specifically about the feedback from episode 74, where I finally shared what I've been chiseling away at bit by bit on what it means to raise free people. What does it mean in detail and in summary? And it was wonderful that Yolandi asked me that question because it allowed me to dive in further, to go deeper into the question in a way that it just didn't feel like I had access to before. So I'd been working on a statement that would make me feel so confident. This is kind of what I do. I have personal manifestos, a main one and then smaller ones for different things that (laughs) are most present in my life. And I wanted to have a statement that spoke to what it meant to raise free people. And so I start broad and then work down to the specifics. So I start off with an essay usually, and then chisel, 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 chisel. But when Yolandi asked me the question, when she left that voice memo, it's like she unlocked another level. (laughs) And I was just like, bet you. I felt like I was really in the space with it. And the essay needed to stay an essay. It turns out that it wasn't just one statement. Then I wanted to make it an audio essay because these are about voices. And of course, the voices are in the words, but the voice is also in the voice. (laughs) So I wanted to add that audio component for the very first time that it was shared. The feedback, the responses were that it articulated what you've wanted to say so clearly, or pieces of ideas that you did say, but just didn't put all of those things together, or things that you didn't even really think about, but as you heard them, really connected you to a core belief that you had. And all of this for me came when we committed to unschooling, to understanding what that meant. When you do this, many of us, instead of saying we unschool our children, we say we are an unschooling family. Because the truth is we're all shedding old ideas and getting really clear on who and how we are and then putting that into practice, you know, going from exploration to application over and over again, sometimes with the same thing. You know, it's this process of evolving and getting really clear about your voice and the people and places that are ideal for how you get down. That's what this is about. And I feel like episode 74, what does raising free people mean? That for me was you who are listening, sending me clarity and messaging me with clarity and sending me clarity energetically also (laughs) in ways that allow me to, when I sit to write about the work or to produce audio around the work, more and more, I'm so clear that it isn't just my lived experience, but also that I'm, it feels like there's access or permission or work that I'm given that is so far beyond me. And when I get your feedback, it 
just confirms that this is the right direction. This is a way you and I can actually change the reality of children and adults, but mainly children, because they don't have a choice, sitting in spaces like classrooms or wherever, where their power and their creativity and their rights are taken. That's affecting all of us. Many of us were those children, and we know the results of that thing. And so your feedback is really guiding me now towards focusing so much more on the application. So the first three seasons of this podcast, we're on episode 76 now. We've gone in and out of a lot of different spaces, a lot of different aspects of self-directed education and unschooling in particular, that particular form of self-directed education. We've talked about the personal aspects of this work because it's all so very personal and also the social, the societal components of this work. But what I'm hearing is that it is now time to shift over into more of the application, imagining and living and practicing as if schooling and the schoolishness, the mindset, I'm not just talking about the classroom, I'm talking about the binaries, the boxes, the mindset that keep us perpetuating different forms of oppression throughout generations, that it's now time to talk a lot more and do a lot more of the application of that. To go deeper into understanding unschooling without applying schoolish concepts and categories to it. There's a lot of work that happens when you make a commitment to raise a free person. You don't just now pivot and all the other stuff falls off. You now have to figure out how to put some of that stuff down, how to walk away from some of those old habits. And we've been talking a lot about those old habits, but it feels now that we have to go deeper into what it looks like on the other side of that. And going deeper, this deepening, this deep conditioning is such <laughs> a consistent part of unschooling. It's two things that happens. There's a lot of deepening and then there's a lot of discovery. Starting with discovery because that one feels easier. Like Imagematics, I've been talking about Angel and Stephanie. Angel in particular, you know, we've been communicating a lot. She's based here in Atlanta. She's a, a homeschooling and unschooling mother of five daughters, as I mentioned in the last episode. And we've been talking a lot about discovery because what she and her um, friend and business partner, Stephanie, what they do at Imagimatics is they basically create multiple opportunities for young people and their families to discover different things or to go deeper into things that they're already interested in. So she and I were talking about, she actually was telling me about a makerspace that offers a shoemaking course. And I thought, yes, that would be the type of discovery that absolutely lights me up. I would love to find out how to make some fly shoes. How awesome would it be if somebody in my family like really took that on and we had someone who made shoes? <laughs> so it gives you an opportunity to discover something and they're not waiting for the child to get into college or waiting for them to be able to 
take some expensive program to learn to do it. Someone in the community can do it. They can pay the person in the community to do it and provide the tools. And there it is, it's happening. So we don't have to wait for things to adjust to our needs. We can create in our small pockets the things that we need and then bring other people into that, other communities into that and grow out from that. That's how discovery happens. So somebody who comes into it because it just sounds interesting could discover their love of woodwork or working with textiles as a result of that or math as a result of that. There's so many things that can come from doing something like that hands-on. And that's the discovery component that is just such a wonderful way to strew, to introduce young people and communities to different skills and different people, also a way to deepen the interests, deepen the study, the practice, the exposure for someone who might already be interested in that. And so that discovery and that deepening for a lot of us feels very much like a spiritual thing. It isn't just about an approach to education. It is about a way of life. It is about transitioning out of the mindset that you have to spend the majority of your day grinding and then the rest of each day trying to undo that feeling of grind. That is such a normalized way to spend your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s even. And when we decide to unschool, when we decide to untether, we challenge that, we question that. There's so many questions, mad question asking. (laughs) Listen, there's so many questions that lead you when you decide to do raising free people work. It isn't about having the answers. It isn't this guru-esque, enlightened way, but it is a very conscious, a very present and a very autonomous way to be. You know, when you commit to unschooling and doing the work of raising free people, those are the things that come up because you get to deepen your interest and you get to discover other interests and communities. And when you're doing those things, it brings you closer to your authentic self. And it makes it very hard for you to then do things that limit other people's capacity to get to their authentic self, especially young people, the ones over whom we tend to have the most power. So when Marley and Sage, when we started to see that it wasn't a matter of they'll move past not wanting to be in school, when we made it not so much about their reaction in the classroom or to class, and about the larger issue of how they were feeling and whether we were supporting them or trying to um, silence them, support or silencing, oh, shit, Um, (laughs) then, then it became a spiritual thing. Then it became looking at our daughters as whole people and saying, oh, my God, we are the oppressors here. We are saying squash your fucking feelings because there's a system that's in place that most people say is effective and it's the best opportunity for you to be an adult who can sustain themselves and and who maybe can be happy and socially well-adjusted and all of these things. You got to do it here. So all those feelings you're having, we can talk about them or you can journal about them, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to make you do this other thing. That became ridiculous. (laughs) 
that somehow that thing that we were doing every day became ridiculous. And so when we had to put down all of that ridiculousness, the tendency is to now replace that empty space with something else, which is why we went to homeschooling right after. That lasted about 23 seconds, thanks to our daughters, and it instead became more and more of a spiritual journey. (laughs) I feel like I try to avoid saying that because I'm like, oh, it's going to sound kind of woo-woo and people might be like, yeah, but what does that mean? (laughs) But I see more and more that I really need to move past that because it is a spiritual journey. Spirituality is such an important part of raising free people work. And if that aspect of it doesn't resonate, cool. But if it does, you'll really hear what I'm saying here because it isn't just about our own journey as unschoolers. It is also about our ability to contribute to and be part of the world around us, you know, members or citizens of society. And right now there's so much happening, you know, living here in the U.S. this year, and all of it is so unfiltered. We have so much access to the things that are happening. The minute a shooting happens here in a whatever state, I can know about it within minutes of it happening. Like all of this stuff is just being forced, pushed through all these different funnels directly to us, still primed and framed to frame certain people in one lens and one in the other, but it still is also very unfiltered in terms of like the level of access that we have to the shit. And if we are taking in all of these things, if we are in some instances have very little control over how much stuff is like forced upon us, then it becomes increasingly important that our personal leadership skills help us to manage ourselves and navigate that sort of information overload and what that causes. Because you know that as an adult, when you are stressed and many of us become triggered and stressed by the things that are happening in the world, these things affect us, right? And then they bring with them feelings of powerlessness and fear. And when you feel fearful and powerless, then you are much more of a reactive person. You are a much more defensive person. You are going to try to protect the power that you do have. And best believe that affects directly how you treat children because they are the ones over whom you can assert that power without much consequence. So now more than ever, what our personal leadership looks like, what our spiritual journey looks like, the way that we lead and guide ourselves throughout the world and hold ourselves accountable for behaviors and take care of ourselves. That spiritual walk is a personal leadership. And it's just interesting that these things are are showing up so clearly. I'm seeing conversations happening, even ones that I'm not part of, just peeking in on on social media around reclaiming spirituality. And, And this has been such a huge part of my unschooling journey. I even published a course, Simple Spirituality, because even before we began unschooling, and especially after, I was really able to release religion, which was such an important (laughs) uh, cornerstone of my upbringing, but not something that I wanted or needed or even something that was helpful for me. But because of that schoolish mindset, even when I was starting to move away from it, I was still 
kind of keeping aspects of it because I didn't know what else to do. And so the Simple Spirituality course was me taking about a year and a half to really go through a very deliberate shedding of the old and then paying attention to my own patterns and seeing where I could create rituals <laughs> that helped to steady me throughout the day, helped to center me throughout the day, especially then as we began unschooling and spending more time with our children and with each other, Chris and I. These practices were such a great way for me to say, wait a minute, am I about to be upset about this shit? Or can I look at this from a perspective of being so grateful that we're all together figuring it out? Or shit, do I need to do both? Can I get mad first? <laughs> you know, so it just, it allowed me to really see where my ego was showing up because I now had the space. I, I really had the actual space. I wasn't just filling my thoughts and fears with somebody else's idea of connectedness to God or whatever. I had the empty space to define that for myself, which developed into just constantly these aha moments of, oh shit, yeah, I do that. For example, hand washing was a ritual that I used for maybe three years using brown sugar to wash my hands at the end of the day. And it felt like I was just kind of washing off, I don't know, the energy of the day or something like that, you know, kind of starting anew. I don't know. But I knew that I was going to wash my hands every damn day. And I know that I loved washing them with brown sugar. So I turned that into a ritual. It really served me. And I found that I was also doing some form of prayer, I guess, while I was doing that, just a sense of really focused talking to higher self during that time and just washing my hands. You know, so I realized that could be my ritual. That was my ritual. So then I bought really nice brown sugar. Then I made the water temperature perfect before I put my hands, you know, fully under there. I did it a lot slower. I did it with more intention. And those were ways that I unschooled the idea of ritual to really include what I needed and how it served me. Those are some of the ways that raising free people work can deepen your practice. In my case, it was personal leadership practice and the discovery of the ways that I already had rituals and things that could really serve me once I put away the rituals that were there and weren't really relevant to me. So yeah, this is what I really wanted to offer for this episode. I wanted you to hear me be in gratitude to the feedback from episode 74 about what does raising free people mean. Yes, I'm so glad. I really had a very specific intention around it, and it feels really good to know that that's exactly what happened. I also wanted you to consider personal leadership, that term and its connectedness to spirituality and whether feeling through those two things can be helpful for you in your journey towards raising free people, including yourself, don't forget. And I really wanted to introduce this idea of deepeners and discovery around unschooling, because it really very much is those two things, deepening and discovery. And if there was a thing linking discovery and deepening it would be questions. <laughs> and you'll hear it as you listen to the episodes where I'm interviewing folks, you'll hear it. So much of this work is really about asking questions, being comfortable, wanting and needing to ask questions, realizing that answers sometimes look like questions. Sometimes the best answer is simply to question. 
or to pause, to stop doing something so you can formulate questions about whether or why you need to keep doing it. So these questions are such a critical part of the work. And I've added Tuesday, I added a dozen, 12 new sessions inside Unschooling Liberation Space. And I'll make sure the link to that is on this show notes page around questions. There's a whole section in there now called Mad Question Asking because the responses from the Raising Free People episode, again, just really gave me access to some things the same way Yolandi's question gave me access to some things. And so a lot of questions came up, not because people asked them, but because in your responses to me, whether they were written or the voice memos, I had questions. (laughs) Like, what about this? What can you do with that? So I said, oh shit, I opened up the essay and then I just started putting in those questions where they were showing up. And of course, other questions started to show up. So that's probably going to be, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 new sessions inside Unschooling Liberation Space. But I did work through 12 of them over the last two days. And those are in there. A couple of them, I think, are free previews too. Definitely are free previews. So click the link on the show notes page to peek in. I will also put the link to the Simple Spirituality course. It's so relevant to what I'm doing now that I need to share that resource too. I thought it would be appropriate to end this episode with someone else's voice besides mine. And the perfect person for this is Anjal, who's going to hip you to maker spaces. Check out the show notes page because you will also get the link to Imaginatics, which Angel co-runs with Stephanie. You can get connected, informed, and sign up for something dope. All right. Makerspaces are so important, especially in our communities, because, you know, our kids need outlets. They need outlets for certain things. We talk about Black Boy Joy and... I think about so many of my students that I had when I was a technology teacher, little boys who who like to fidget and like to tinker and like to take things apart and play with things and see how things spun around. And there was one popular game, this is kind of recent, but the game where you toss the the bottle, like a half-filled bottle to somebody and you try to make it land flat, that's science. (laughs) And... A lot of these things are just natural to our kids of wanting to be creative and explore and innovate and try new things and and see what things do. So makerspaces support that. They allow space for that. They allow kids to feel like it's okay if you touch that. It's okay if you take that apart. It's okay if you try that out. They've got safety rules and stuff, of course, but there's not a, you know, a fear that, oh, you'll get hurt. Oh no, you can't touch tools. And, and so many of our kids, you know, they got so many great ideas. They want to do these things and they need space for that. You know, parents aren't allowing them to do it at home and they're not allowed to do those kinds of things in school usually. And if they do, it might be just a special day. And then when you go back to class, things go back to normal and you're not allowed to do that anymore. So, you know, makerspaces allow for that. Another thing about him that is really important is just the entire culture of, uh, you know, being cooperative and kind of like open source in, in software. For anybody familiar with the term, it's software that can be 
you can see the code of it. So you can take the code and you can build your own new software based off of that software. You can make some little changes or improvements or you can just take one section of it and use it in what you're building. So open source culture is like how I learned how to design websites because I was able to like go through tutorials and you know people were always sharing code so I could try it out. They would give me help when I went on message boards. This was the thinking. By allowing someone else to look at that, they're going to improve upon it. So it's not a competitive thing where it's like, this person's going to steal my code and then they're going to make more money than me. No, they love this thing that they've created and they'd love to see it get better. So yes, I'm going to share it out. And if there's somebody out there smarter than me or with a better idea than me, maybe they're going to improve upon it. And since we have the internet, we can talk about it and we can even put our ideas together and make something new or better or different. That was the thinking. I used to be like, I want to move to the internet because the way people are thinking <laughs> in that time space, which was like early 2000s, was an, an open source way of thinking. And, and that's what I see in makerspaces too. The same cooperativism, you know, people working together to make a thing happen, pitching in. And that's how they work too. You know, you pay a membership fee. Everybody's basically pitching in on the rent and the utilities at the end of the day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everybody else pretty much is volunteering and just helping out and, and, and that's how they work. So you have different kind of like memberships. Usually they'll have like a uh, different tiers where basic membership will allow you to come during, you know, any hours that is normally open. And then sometimes they'll have like higher tiers where you can come in anytime, you know, because some people like to work at night. Some people like to work alone. If you want to pay the, the extra cost, maybe you've got a big project and you really like want to have the space and the tools. So they're, they're just super useful like that. And I think about the ways we can use them in our community. You know, I think about dads that make furniture and, and moms that make jewelry, all of these different kinds of skills that we have. Like my dad was a welder and welding is, you know, a huge thing coming back. Well, the resurgence of interest in welding, but it's a great, you know, it's a high paying job is a great career. Um, my dad's done it for like uh, probably about 40 years. Makerspaces can vary in the kinds of making that they support and a lot of them will have all of this and some might lean more towards one area more than another. You may have things like craftsmen kind of things, um, artisan, woodworking, um, metalworking, glass blowing all the way ranging over to, you know, the other side where you have high tech and projects with Arduinos and electronics and, um, you know, even some things like in biotech, 3D printed prosthetic limbs. I've even seen like a, somebody create something with an Arduino that could, um, monitor your brain signals and measure the brain activity. What it's really about, it's like not about art, it's not about tech, it's not about any particular thing. What it's about is creativity and exploration and being innovative and trying new things. Another piece that is also like very intertwined in maker culture and, and the whole idea of maker spaces is it supports a self-reliant kind of lifestyle or a sustainable lifestyle um, where you know how to make things, you know how to create things, you know how to do things on your own, you know, you know how to sew your own clothes, 
you know how to make soap. Um, you know how to fix a car. And you know how to change oil. Like these are all things that can take place in a makerspace and things that you can learn or do in a makerspace that prepare you for real world life. It gives us space for all of these things that we need, you know, because we want our kids to be more creative. We want them to be able to explore. We don't want them tearing up our house. We know that they're not going to be able to do that in school. And we want to be thinking about being innovative. And we adults need to be in makerspaces more. We need to be there showing the young people what we know, our skills, our abilities. We need to be right there with them, learning what they're learning if we're interested in it too. Not trying to make them learn what we want to learn, but uh, if we like that, we can learn along with them. Or if they like what we're learning, we, they can learn alongside us. But there's enough space in a makerspace for families. Thanks for listening to Fair the Free Child podcast. Like the show? Then show your love or give your feedback at akilasrichards.com.